All right. Good morning, listeners, and uh, welcome to this week's News from the Drug War Front. My name is Jeff, and my partner in crime is uh, Marion. Good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning, my darlings. How are we all? I hope everybody's feeling a little bit better than I am. A long weekend makes a big difference to the week, doesn't it? It shortens it all everywhere. Way to go, Canberra Day. Actually, somebody said to me disparagingly, well, what's there to celebrate in Canberra? Yeah. I said, well, maybe Canberra. Really? Yeah, maybe Canberra itself. But I listen, just before we start off on anything else, can people please remember COVID has not finished? We had something in the region of 683 infections on, I think, Saturday. Or and, and it's just crazy. It's a pandemic, people. It's not finished. Well, I'm just wondering why all of a sudden the public health messages, which we've had consistently have for... Have gone. Well, it's, it's almost like if you don't talk about it, it's over. I yeah, mean, that's right. And yeah. yet in the paper it says here's sub-variant up to seven times yeah, more contagious. A new one, yeah. That's it's, not over to me. Not, not over at all. It's still 25,000 infected in, in uh, England. And it's just, and we've got 683. We haven't had that many in Canberra. You know, Canberra didn't have that level of infections when we were first starting no. with COVID. Double figures, you freaked just out. Got, yeah. yeah. People just got sick of COVID and hearing about it. And now, because our Prime Minister is not talking about it, mm. it's not happening. But guess what? There's a lot of other stuff he doesn't talk about that's not that's happening that he thinks isn't happening, like floods, like fires, like famines, like wars, like you yeah. know, well driving said. crazy. No, I, I just can't see the cost of maintaining minimal public health safety measures. You yeah, know. and thinking that, you know, what we need to do is just get everybody infected and over it. Well, guess what? People get infected again. And also, you might get long COVID, and trust me, as somebody oh, absolutely. That's afflicted by chronic fatigue syndrome, you wouldn't want your worst enemy no, to no, suffer no. that. Not, not at all. Not nice. Absolutely. All okay. right. Um, yeah, welcome to this week's news from the drug war front. With Brought all that you... joyfulness, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with that happy news to start with. Yeah. Um, Brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harmonisation and the Connection, which um, provides the similar services for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. Karma is a peer-based, community-controlled drug, drug user organisation with over two decades serving the ACT. Now, for those who haven't heard the show, um, the aim of it is to not just report on the news and the deaths and misery and damage and harm caused by the prohibition of certain drugs, that began uh, on a global scale with the 1961 UN Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs, um, which sadly remained largely in effect. Um, there are some countries that are, you know, trying to shift the dial in the right way, like Canada. You're having a go at it, yeah. With the I, safe supply concept. And yeah, and cannabis in various um, states in the United States. Yes, are uh, doing. In fact, if you have a look at what's happening with the cannabis in the United States, those con- those states that are making cannabis available over the counter and through um, therapeutic are actually making such a lot of money for those states. It's phenomenal. So instead of costing money by enforcing the laws, when in Australia we really should be allowed to have it therapeutically um, and has been made available therapeutically if you can get past the coppers. Well, and yeah? also a lot of the medicinal cannabis is very, the bureaucratic hurdles are very difficult to oh, jump over. It's not yeah. as easy as it should be. No. Anyway, um, yeah, so essentially the aim of the show is to um, encourage people to have a discussion, not just accept the narrative from the mainstream media 
that the war on people who use drugs is um, some great success and we must soldier on because uh, drugs are bad, okay? <laughs> and therefore the people that use drugs are bad. Yeah, because yeah, no. that's the way it goes. Yeah, so Karma provides a wide range of services such as client advocacy, peer treatment support, education, creative arts, mentoring and referrals. The Connection is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. Both services are co-located in the Church's Centre, Belconnen, Shop 17, Level 154, Benjamin Way in Belconnen. The drop-in is open again. Drop-in centre is open again and the hours are 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. The office phone number, and it's probably better to make an appointment, is 62533643. And we'll repeat that later, but just remember, it's probably better to make an appointment because... The office, although there is room enough for desk, isn't really room enough for lots of people, lots of people to be at in the same time. And you need privacy when you want to talk yeah. about your stuff. So it's probably better to make an appointment, meet somebody up at Karma and then go off to the park down the road and have a chat just so that it's private, you're on neutral ground and you can talk to people in a relaxed way. You can talk to your worker in a relaxed way. Um, okay, so karma can assist people with a wide range of issues, uh, apart from those things that we prov- the services they provide. Things like opioid, ma- opioid maintenance treatment, that's methadone, buprenorphine, and more recently, the groovy, long-acting injectable forms of bu- buprenorphine, buvital and sublocade about which I have interesting things to say, but not now. Treatment for hep C, the impact of stigma and discrimination. Availability of detox and rehab services. We do do re, um, referrals, but our main focus is actually on harm reduction. Yes. So we're really dealing with drug users and accept the fact that people use drugs. That's what happens. Drug use happens. Okay, so we accept that. If you want to be referred to another agency... Karma will refer you to another agency. If you want to get, go to rehab, Karma will help you get into rehab. That's right. So don't worry about whatever it is you want. Karma is not going to judge you negatively because of your intentions. Whatever it is you want to do, if Karma, if it's in Karma's within Karma's remit, mm-hmm. they will help you to do it. Yeah, well said, Mary. All issues faced by people adversely impacted by prohibition and the war on people who use drugs. That's us. That's us. Uh, the much-anticipated uh, Jude Byrne Women's Group is about to start. Uh, now, due to having to follow COVID-safe protocols, the numbers are strictly limited. And before uh, finally establishing the um, set dates for the upcoming group, um we need to know the number of people attending. Now, this is for women who are having issues with CYPS. Who, uh, Who've had their children taken or from are them facing, or are facing yeah. that happening. And yeah. remember with the women's stories, we had quite a oh, number of... Yeah, we did. We had lots of different stories, but women inevitably had negative relationships with CYPS, unfortunately, largely because you don't know what the rules are. And yeah. that, they need to have a rethink about their really structure do. and mindset too and yeah. take a harm reduction uh, approach. But um, anyway, look, if um, you know anyone or you're interested, call the office uh, on the same number as Marion mentioned, 6253 3643. Yep. And, uh, talk leave, to Louise. Talk to Louise, or talk to Monica. Talk to Monica, um, yep. Yep. And uh, express your interest. It's it's It looks really worthwhile. Yeah, I know. It'll be a great program and... 
They just want to keep it down to limited numbers because it'll be a closed group. It will be a private group. What you say in the group will stay in the group, okay? Yeah. It will not be said and talked about anywhere else. It's private. And it, um, that's the really important issue. Yeah, it has to be a safe space. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, News from the Drug War Front reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and around the world. Many of the articles featured in the program come from other sources, including the mainstream media. The contents of, of this broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of karma and the connection. Karma does not condone but nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and UN conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that uh, foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. And as and we say each week... human rights. And yeah. human rights, yeah. Human we rights. had human rights, people. Just because we're drug users doesn't mean we are not entitled to human rights. We are humans. Well, Therefore, we deserve rights. It seems illicit drug users remain in a subgroup that doesn't seem to qualify yeah, for human well, rights. So or... I have to say I was very impressed with um, Avil's presence in uh, the Mardi Gras parade, yeah? It was I was wonderful too. to see that. Yeah. Yeah, I saw your comment and Mary made one too and I was really impressed. It's the first time uh, Avil, the Australian in Injecting and Intravenous Drug Users League, that's the peak peer education body um, that represents all peer education organisations in Australia, most of them anyway, the ones that are members, um, they actually participated in the um, the Be Free, the, you know, the, the Shout Loud um, Mardi Gras parade and it was really good to see them there because it's such an important part of, um, of you know, sexuality. And I always say to people the two important and most intimate things that people talk about or don't talk mm -hmm. about, think about, are how they like their drugs and how they like their sex, yeah. right? And they're the things that really matter. And often the two are connected. Oh, absolutely. And you find that if you look back over the history of HIV, hepatitis C, sexually transmitted infections, those things are related, obviously, to sex, but also to drug use. Mm. So, and that includes alcohol as well. Don't, you know, get yeah, me of wrong. Course. Drug. Alcohol is a drug. So is caffeine. You know, just about everything you use is a drug. Just some things are illegal and some things aren't. But I was just, yeah, it was really good to see Abel up front and, you know, dancing and really quite a lot of people there representing Avon, and I was very proud of them for doing that. So I was proud too. You, and I yeah. thought the, the commentators actually um, expressed what Avon was about quite yeah, succinctly and non-judgmentally. Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, one comment that I didn't, I wondered it about, how, but I actually preferred to take it all quite positively and I was really proud of the way that they were dancing and singing and really participating in that, the Mardi Gras parade. Yeah, really it was positive. Really good to see. It was, yeah, it was lovely. And it was good to see Avil out in public. It was. Yeah? Yeah. It was a really nice display of ability. Indeed. <laughs> we'll have to make that a word, Jake. You're listening. More power. Avility.
Yeah, no, it was very positive to see Abel. Yep. Okay, um, look, I'll play, I think I'll play a Jimi Hendrix um, yeah, song. Yeah, do I, that. I'm, I've actually bought a ticket to um, a local performance at the Street Theatre on April yes, the 8th. Yes, yes, a guy that's doing... Um, a tribute to Hendrix called the Chris Johnston Experience Hendrix. Yeah. And he actually, Who, like many others, died at 27 yeah. of a drug overdose. Well, um, I posted a comment, you know, bought a ticket, posted a comment saying, oh, this looks fantastic. And yeah. he actually personally responded saying, that's I'm putting wonderful. my heart and soul into this. Yeah, um, that's hope great. You enjoy you it. must be a hell of a player. Oh, he'd have to be Jeff, to take even, on that. What kind of what kind of a um, sense of self must you have and your guitar capacity to actually think you could do Jimi Hendrix? I mean, he must be good. He must be. He must be good. And in that case, more power to him. Yeah, I love to see people who are who have their own. Sense of self and their own capacity, their own agency. Absolutely, yeah? and they will do what they want to do, and show people what they want to do, and show people the talent, particularly of people like Jimi Hendrix, Absolutely. who is somebody we lost far too way young, way too young, yeah. way too young, and that's happened with so many artists, and you sadly, know, because yeah. largely because of drugs. Yeah. Yeah, and well, they're covering up a lot of stuff with that. And we've got a story about that a bit later on, which we might get into. We do. Yeah? Unfortunately, Hendrix died for want of an ambulance being called, oh, I believe. Oh, you're kidding, yeah. Jeff. I mean, it could, yeah, it could have been saved. A bit like, you know, people not calling an ambo before naloxone came along, you know. Yeah, that's... that's sort of... Oh, well, that reminds me. You should... Karma's restarting the opioid overdose recognition and response with naloxone training workshop. I'll tell you about that after Jeffrey plays the song. Because right. I don't want to stop the song any longer. <laughs> this is an obvious shout out to Mary. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. The wind cries Mary. Yeah. yeah. Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> All right, Beautiful. that was uh, Jimi Hendrix and the Wind Cries Mary, and yeah. it's 11 minutes to 11, and you're listening to news from the drug war front. And you yeah. were going to mention the next naloxone training. I was. In fact, I started mentioning it, then realised that we had to actually play that song because it was important to play it after you'd announced it. So Karma's restarting the opioid overdose recognition and response with naloxone training. The first workshop, or the next workshop, will be held at the Uniting Care Early Morning Centre in Civic on Tuesday the 22nd of March at 2pm. Places are limited, so to book a place, either call Karma on 62533643 and ask to speak with Dave or Damo. And you can visit, or you can visit the Early Morning Centre in person and book a place with the staff there. Workshop participants are trained to recognise the risk factors and symptoms of opioid overdose and are shown how to respond to an overdose using naloxone. The workshop lasts about an hour. People who complete the workshop receive a take-home kit and are reimbursed 30 bucks for their time and trouble. If you miss, miss out on a place in the first one, Fear not. Karma will be holding regular naloxone training workshops at the Early Morning Centre and various other locations for foreseeable futures. If you want take-home naloxone but are unable to attend the workshop group workshops, you can call or visit Karma to arrange a brief intervention with naloxone where you will be shown how to use naloxone to reverse overdose and be supplied with one or more take-home naloxone kits. Now, I always carry carry two doses of naloxone with me in my purse when I walk around and I think everybody should well, simply because you just don't know 
all naloxone does is reverse overdose, opioid overdose. Yeah. It doesn't do anything else. doesn't harm people. No. So if you see someone collapsed on the pavement, turning blue, possibly fitting, possibly having seizure, possibly not, but not moving, possibly not breathing, if you use... If they have overdose and you use naloxone, it will reverse the effects of the naloxone and possibly bring them back to life. If it's not overdose, it won't do anything. It's not going to hurt them. It's not going to hurt them at all, but you should always contact an ambulance anyway. Yeah, I think um, the community would be a lot safer if everyone was like you, Marion, and carried a couple of nasal sprays in the handbag or always, bag I or, always do. I just think it's a no-brainer, and it's they're so easy to use. It's you know I, you don't test one out. By the way, I did that with the first time I got <laughs> one. You test one out. You've used it basically. Yeah, <laughs> they're so easy to use. You just pump the bottom of them. You just have to make sure you get it up the nose. Yeah. Well, the good thing about nasal spray. I mean, early on when it was the ampules and you had to draw it up and do intramuscular. Yeah. For a lot of people who are inexperienced with needles and syringes, it was. Daunting and in yeah, a... very much so, and time-consuming. Yes, and you shake when you're drawing up, you know, needles and syringes, and you don't want to get a barb in the needle anyway, let alone trying to break open the ampule, which could be tricky if you didn't know what to do. Which could be very tricky. And yeah. I think they've upped the dosage in the in the uh, nasal sprays, haven't they? I think that was what Dave said last time I spoke to him. It used to be. Um, a reasonably low point dose. 0.4 but, of a milligram. Yeah, well, the ampules are 0.4 of a milligram, but I think the, the uh, naloxone sprays are larger than that. Um, Just because of the mode of transmission. That, and you yeah. need that because you don't know how much people have taken. And sometimes I have had to use three ampules on some people. So, really? Yeah. So you've got to be really careful of how much you use. If you use a nasal spray, often one will do it, but to use two, it's not going to kill, not going to hurt them. Yep. It's only going to do good if yeah. what they've done what they've done is overdosed on opioids. Yeah. Anyway. No, it only does one thing, but it does it brilliantly. But it does it brilliantly, and yeah. everyone should have one. Okay. So oh. we go on to this next one. The um, national I one. just mentioned outreach is uh, back in action. Oh yes. With barbecues Sorry. every Wednesday at Oaks Estate, and yep. this Thursday we're finally returning to Ainsley Village, which we. Um, haven't been at Ainsley Village for many months. Yeah, um, well, largely because of COVID. COVID, yeah. yeah. But um, um, but every fortnight we'll be coming back. At this stage, every fortnight on a Thursday, yeah. and it will be really good. Look, it's a, a well-attended barbecue. They always love to see karma. Yeah. They enjoy the food, and also we can do, um, you know, client uh, interaction. And, yeah, yeah, and because particularly people at um, Ainsley Village, getting out to Belconnen is a big hike. That's true. Many people are not mobile. They don't have transport. So it's really good for Karma to turn Come up to where them. they are. Yeah. And they're on their turf. Yes. You feel always feel more comfortable talking about your own stuff when you're at home. And when you go out to uh, Ainsley Village, you're in their home. So, you know, you have to be polite. You are the guest, basically. And they are simply the recipients of your generosity, if you like, no, or whatever it is you have to bring. So, no, I think that's a really good idea. We've always been well received and well attended. So, yeah. um, you know, maybe it'll take a few barbecues to... To get people get the numbers back, back again, up again. That's about ritual. It's about routine, isn't it? Just and people, people remembering, remembering that Tuesdays are the day, or sorry, Thursdays. that Wednesdays are the day for the Thursdays at Ainsley. Oh, Thursday. Yep. Wednesday at Oaks Estate. Wednesday at Oaks Estate. Okay, and Thursdays at Ainsley Village. Yeah, but right. I think you know. I guess COVID 
dependent, um, trying to increase the number of outreach activities because they were always, like you said, a good way to get out into the community. And that's really important. And remember, a community is not just a group of people. It's a group of people with something in common. And that's really important. And when we talk about our community, we're talking about people who have drug use in common. But it's not a negative aspect of looking at drug use. It's just a matter of fact. Drug use exists. doesn't matter what kind of drug you use, it just exists. So it's really good just to get out and be part of our community. Even if you just use caffeine, for crying out loud, that's part of our community too. If you need three coffee, I used to, when I was working, needed three coffees before I went to work because I had to be that wound up. Yep. To get to work, yeah. And then I got to the point where I got over it. Yeah, <laughs> I used just to be the couldn't, same. Couldn't stand it anymore because I used to use caffeine to get through all nighters at university too. And I came down from it. I withdrew from caffeine. Oh, absolutely. So remember, withdrawals from caffeine can be really rough. I had a headache, I had muscle aches, I was really quite agitated from withdrawals from simply from caffeine and no dose, yeah, which is only oh, 100 yeah. milligrams of caffeine. They, they were commonly used by yeah, students. For... absolutely. Very often, yeah. yeah. Um, and if you could get amphetamines, fine, but you, mostly we couldn't afford that, so no dose was the go. That so was what you would use. Cram for your um, exams or get Or just get an, an assignment or... finished. Yeah. Lastly, my, my stuff was assignment-based. I had exams, of course, as well, which is hopeless because my memory's crap. <laughs> but you know, so remembering what to do in an exam was more a matter of, oh, God, I oh, know. Actually, I was talking to Mary the other day, Jeffrey, and I told her that I think that the problem with my brain is... When things come in the front of my brain, something falls off the back, right? There's a cliff at the back, so there's only a certain number of things I can remember. I nearly so choked I... on my drink there. <laughs> so if I sound like I'm doughy and I've forgotten things, which I often have, I've forgotten people's names, you yeah, know that, yeah, you're nature. always reminding me, but that's because it's fallen off the back of that cliff at the, at the other side of my head and it happens all the time. Well, yeah, um... Memory loss is one of the things yeah, that comes with aging. Comes with aging, yeah. And it's dreadful because such a lot of things I really want to remember. Yeah, yeah. I yep. want to keep in mind. And anyway, sit down, write a book, Marion. Yeah. Well, look, we've got the news coming up in a couple in a of minutes, while. so it's probably not. Do, to... Have you got a three-minute song to do? Maybe. Um, yeah, could probably play a bit of Carmelita. Okay. All right, do Carmelita right. until the news. All right. All right, welcome back to this week's news from the drug war front. I thought before we went on to uh, a national story about efforts to um, bring in some progressive drug law reform in Victoria, I might mention this piece that uh, was sent to me on Facebook. Uh, Ukraine's opiate users, the Russian invasion has severely disrupted access to opioid substitution treatment. And it says about 317,000 Ukrainians inject drugs like heroin regularly. As of January, uh, as of January this year, nearly 15,000 of them were receiving substitute opiates such as methadone and buprenorphine. Ukraine has been funding these treatment services since 2017. In that year, it also rapidly expanded services for people in need of sterile syringes, condoms and peer support uh, or counselling. 
The Russian invasion has severely disrupted access to these specialist drug treatment services. Before the war, some people would collect their methadone daily, but the Ministry of Health has arrived that a 15 to 30 days supply should now be given. This helps to reduce the number of trips to services, which in some parts of the country are very risky, as we've seen on TV. Yet even at this early stage in the war, insurance people can secure their medications, proving very difficult. Of the 1,328 people registered with drug services in Kiev, or Kiev, so far most have been able to get their opiate substitution medication. But services in other parts of Ukraine are not faring so well. And what if the Russians take over? Well, they don't believe in harm reduction. Absolutely, and they don't provide methadone. They don't provide methadone no. to their own citizens, no. let alone... Let alone to... Ukrainian, yeah. Yeah. Um, but services in other parts of Ukraine aren't faring so well. They're either running out of supplies or contact has been lost with local drug treatment uh, teams. Without this daily supply, people will develop severe withdrawal symptoms. Yep. Although these are not life-threatening, well, I don't know, in some cases it For could be. For some people, it depends on how big your dose is, doesn't it? Look, when Crimea was annexed, annexed I heard stories of people um, overdosing yeah. from, you know... Yeah, uh, from street drugs. Street drugs. Yeah. Um, suiciding even, yeah. or trying to flee to other parts to... Well, I, people have done that in Cambridge, Jeffrey, when people had to go on a waiting list for methadone. They, I, one guy overdosed because he couldn't wait, yeah. and he was just so devastated by the fact that he couldn't that it was supposed to be on a waiting list for three months. So that was before the methadone was expanded. Yep. So it's just, you know, oh, it's, it's just miserable. wrong. Yeah. It's just wrong. Um, without daily supply, people will develop severe withdrawal symptoms. Although not life-threatening, they're extremely uncomfortable at a time when people are already experiencing significant stress. We know that food, water and safe accommodation are disappearing for many. Yep. An increasing number of Ukrainians are leaving the country seeking refuge in neighbouring countries. The Ministry of Health is trying to reach agreements with its neighbours to ensure that OST is continued for those who need treatment. Yeah. The International Narcotics Control Board, the INCB, has encouraged those countries to ensure there's also access to substitute opiates for refugees. Jeez. Do you know if they've got it in Poland? I'm not sure of the situation in Poland. I would like to think yeah, that it, be, if they haven't, it will be part of the um, overall wraparound yeah. services. Uh, negotiations have been taking place between Ukrainian health authorities and um, authorities in Moldova, Romania and Poland to ensure that um, injecting drug users can continue to get treatment, though it's not clear how much effort or success there have been. There are significant differences in the way that neighbouring countries provide treatment to those who are dependent on drugs like opiates. Some countries are just not as progressive as Ukraine in their attitudes yeah. to people who use drugs. Um, future looks bleak for drug users if Russia wins. Vladimir Putin's made clear his complete disdain for people who use drugs, most recently accusing Ukrainian leaders of, quote, being a gang of drug addicts and neo-Nazis. Junkies and Nazis was what was he it? said. Yep. Junkies, Junkies okay. and Nazis. I think he meant junta, but I had a feeling it was the translator that got it wrong. But he said junkies Nazis. and Nazis. In 2011, Russia declared total war on the country's drug problem. It's difficult to source reliable estimates of how many Russians now have problems with drugs. The recent analysis of debates held in the Duma, the Russian parliament, suggests about 8 million Russians use drugs regularly. Yep. After decades of official denial that drug use existed in the Soviet Union, the post-Soviet authorities were forced to acknowledge an HIV-AIDS epidemic back in the 90s. This was linked to injecting drug use, which today accounts for 40% of new HIV infections in Russia. Oh, what a surprise. Russia is the only country amongst the 47 member states of the Council of Europe that prohibits opioid substitution therapy. The prospect of long-term occupation by Russia, Russia has, uh, therefore, has deeply negative implication, implications for harm reduction services in Ukraine. 
Russia's domestic drug policy has been counterproductive in fueling disease spread, stigma and human rights abuses. There is no doubt that people who use drugs are vulnerable during conflicts and those risks are amplified considerably when an invasion is orchestrated by a president who has complete contempt for them. Yep, and they've cut off Twitter and they've cut off Facebook, so you can't get anything over the over the um, social net services, yeah. So there's no inform- all you can get is information over the state run media. From the official channels, yeah. In Russia. And frankly, I don't believe a word um, Putin says. No, so I'm highly just sceptical. If he says anything, believe the opposite. Like, I'm not going to invade Ukraine. Sure, we believe that. My heart goes out to people oh, on overseas. Oh, it's uh, in, just you know, It's bad enough being in a conflict zone without wondering whether you're suddenly going to be cut off your opiate substitution treatment. They've got three sides of Kiev um, surrounded. surrounded. Yeah. They've got most of the Crimean coast done. Odessa is not yet taken, but no. I think the Ukrainians have to be applauded for their... Um, because... You know, it's taken what two weeks so far, and they haven't overrun the country. Oh, people are and defending that's because yeah. the Ukrainians are defending it, and I'm really proud of them for that. I feel really good about it. I, uh, but really sad about it too. Oh, you know, they, war is what appalling. on earth yeah. makes it him think that it's okay to do that? Because yeah. it isn't. Well, war doesn't solve anything. I think history shows us that. Why can't we? Um, what's wrong with them sending in? Uh, Drones, Jeffrey. Is there something about sending people drones, sending them drones, so that we could kind of send them up into the air, interfere with the overflying planes? I think people are nervous of expanding the conflict. You know, like yeah, no, I get that. But if they don't want to send planes in, right? I get that. Don't do that. But maybe drones might be a better idea because I just think if you get a flock of birds, they will interfere with jets. Get any birds shoved up in your jet stream. That makes a big mess out of you. And they do have ways of interfering with flyovers. And they're not going to, it doesn't look like the uh, European Union or the NATO countries are going to do anything Has about having a no-fly zone there. So if there's not no, if there's no no-fly zone, whack up the drones. Yeah, I think diplomacy and discussion is the only way it's going to get resolved. Diplomacy is not going to do a damn thing. He's a liar. <laughs> Putin's a liar. He says one thing and he does another. You can't believe a word he I says. I just don't want to see World War Three, Marion, as yeah, unfortunate well, I know, as it is. Yeah, but darling, drones are, you know, they're tiny little things with three legs. They're not jet planes, yeah? yeah? No, I see your point. Anyway, I know. There's probably a perfectly good reason for that and I'm just ignoring it because I just think there must be some alternative for them somewhere. Anyway, look, we've got a national story here now. People don't choose to become addicts, the headline says. The push to end Victoria's war on drugs, and this is by Benita Kolovos from The Guardian, March the 8th. Doctors think it's a good idea, and so does the UN. So why can't Australia bring itself to consider widespread drug decriminalisation? Baden-Hicks battled drug addiction for 20 years, during which... He says he survived 18 overdoses, five by the skin of his teeth. He's experienced homelessness, been in and out of psychiatric wards and jail, but the 36-year-old wants to be known as more than just a drug addict. I'm a father, I'm a brother, I'm a son, I'm a grandson, I'm an uncle. 
through my functional addict years, I got a boilermaker apprenticeship. I went to night school and did further studies in that. I worked in the dive industry for eight years. I'm a scuba diver and a spearfisher, he tells Guardian Australia. People don't choose to become drug addicts. This is his qu- drug addicts. This is his quote. There's a reason why people generally use drugs. For me, I use drugs to deal with a lot of pain in my life. That's one of the things I really agree with, which feels which felt really unbearable. Having graduated from marijuana to cocaine, heroin, speed and ice, Hicks Credit's lawyer, Michelle Goldberg from First Step, was saving his life after she represented him in a case, introduced him to a mental health worker and helped him to get a place in the services Reset Life Programme. He's now been in recovery for 15 months and has completed a certificate for in alcohol and other drugs. He's volunteering at First Step and working in peer support at Turning Point, an addiction research and education centre in Richmond, Melbourne. He's also spent time in Victoria's Parliament in recent weeks to garner support for a bill put forward by the Reason Party MP Fiona Patton to decriminalise drugs. Who which we've is spoken good. of a number of times. And we laud her. We do, do. we applaud her or what? We do. Under Fiona Patton's bill to be debated uh, on Wednesday, that'd be tomorrow, yep. police would issue a compulsory notice and referral to drug, ed- to drug education or treatment to people believed to have used or possessed the drug of dependence. If they complied, there would be no finding of guilt and no recorded criminal outcome. Fiona Patton has described the war on drugs as, quote, one of the most disastrous public policy failures in modern history. That's a monumental quote, isn't it, really? We could have made that ourselves. (laughs) Indeed. Which has destroyed lives, wasted money and created a black market that has enriched organised criminals. What we're doing hasn't reduced arrests, has not reduced harm, hasn't reduced use, she tells Guardian Australia. Decriminalisation is supported by the United Nations and the World Health Organisation and in Australia by the Australian Medical Association, the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners and the Royal Australian College of Physicians, as well as several key drug and alcohol bodies. But getting politicians to buy in is another matter entirely. Mm. Both the Daniel Andrews government and the opposition have ruled out supporting Fiona Patton's bill. Quote, We know the harmful impact illicit drug use can have on the community. That's why Victoria Police is constantly focused on targeting drug dealers and manufacturers to break up their criminal activity, a government spokesperson says. It's so predictable, isn't it? The language, the tone. Yeah, That's despite costings by the Parliamentary Budget Office that found that Fiona Patton's proposal would save the state $33 million between 2021-22 and 2024-25 and more in following years thanks to a reduction in drug enforcement activity by courts and prisons, although this would be partially offset by a decrease in revenue of $1.3 million due to a reduction in yeah, fines. Partially. The difference between $33 million and $1.3 million is pretty monumental, yeah? I would have thought so. It's like 30, 30, $31.3 That's crazy. With increasing savings yeah. further down the line. I mean... Patton describes her model as, quote, a streamlined version of what's in place in Portugal, which saw drops in problematic drug use, HIV and hepatitis infection rates, overdose deaths, drug-related crime and incarceration rates when it became the first country to decriminalise the possession and, and consumption of all illicit substances back in 2001. Victoria is not the first Australian jurisdiction to debate decriminalisation. 
Possession of cannabis has been decriminalised in the ACT, South Australia and the Northern Territory for decades. There's also a private member's bill before the ACT Legislative Assembly that, if passed, would allow people found with a personal supply of drugs to pay a small fine rather than face criminal charges. Actually, and then you might need to think about what kind of employment you can do once you have got criminal charges because you won't be able to do working with vulnerable people. You won't pass that. You can't get that certificate once you've got criminal charges. And lots of countries that you can't visit. and has yeah, enormous absolutely. Well, the United States. Implications, yeah. yeah. Enormous ramifications. Absolutely. In New South Wales, a plan to introduce a three-chance warning system for people found with small quantities of drugs was put to Cabinet in December 2020, but opposed by several ministers, including Deputy, Deputy Premier John Barillaro and Police Minister David Elliott. Patrick Lawrence, CEO of First Step, says his 20 years working in the sector, in his 20 years working in the sector, he's never met someone dealing with addiction who hasn't suffered trauma. Quote, the greatest impact of our current laws, drug laws is felt not by the recreational drug user, but by people who have survived childhood poverty, sexual abuse, homelessness and the absence of love and bonding, he says. According to the Victorian Police Strategy 2020 to 2025, police are focusing on targeting drug dealers and manufacturers to break up their criminal activity and connecting those suffering addiction with treatment and support services. The strategy states drug problems are first and foremost health issues and urges officers to show empathy. What does that look like? Quote, drug users could be our children, members of our family, our friends or ourselves, if you think about it, or people who have lost their way. When we see the human, we will see the way forward. Greg Denham was part of Victoria Police in the mid-1990s when a drug policy expert committee set up by the then Premier Jeff Kennett recommended the adoption of harm minimisation approach. Quote, we need policies that are actually enshrined in law rather than just words that can be easily ignored and disregarded, he said. The committee, headed by academic Dr David Pennington, or Professor David Pennington, also called for use and possession of small amounts of cannabis no longer to be an offence, while heroin and other drugs to remain illegal. But with the use of uh, cautions and referral to drug treatment centres for the first offence... Diversions were introduced uh, and were being used in 80% of circumstances, Denham says. Quote, at the time, police were advised that they should use it as often as they can, that a person can get more time, can get more than one drug diversion. But a lot of police started to say, well, why should we give give them a second chance? Why should we give them a slap on the wrist so many times? He says, noting diversions are currently being used in 20% of circumstances. Quote, we need policies that are actually enshrined in law rather than just words. I just said that before. Rather than words that can just be easily ignored and disregarded. Denham says the state has slipped backwards when it comes to drug policy reforms and blames politicians. It's almost become a taboo topic again. 
Um, they're so concerned their words may be misconstrued or that they may be the next headline in the tabloid press, Denham says. I think that's one of the real problems for Absolutely, politicians. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's gone back to the days where you had to be courageous to come out and speak positively about drug law reform. Or even express an opinion, for goodness sake. Uh, any kind of opinion because it'll be misconstrued. Secretary of the Police Association, Wayne Gatt, said... It's simply a fallacy to suggest that low-level drug users are all going to jail. Hmm. The Police Association Secretary Wayne Gatt, again, however, maintains Patton's bill is not needed, given officers has been, have been issuing cautions and diverting people into treatment programs for many years. Well, they didn't need um, um, sex industry workers' laws to be... You know, introduced either until it was until, de- until it was debated. Yeah, and, and and they did need. Yeah, they did need it. Quote: To be quite honest, the settings at the moment are quite balanced. It's simply a fallacy to suggest that low-level drug users are all going to jail here. At Holt, Holt, so Holt, no problem night. here. Status yeah, quo yeah, is fine. Yeah, yeah. Don't look here. Look yeah. over there. Yeah, we're happy with the way yeah, things yeah. are. Anyway, Patton, who has successfully led campaigns on other social reforms, including the Richmond Supervised Injecting Room, the enactment of the nation's first assisted dying laws, and most recently the decriminalisation of sex work, concedes that her bill won't pass without the support of one of the major parties. But she is hopeful for a commitment to progress, potentially through a trial, which would not require legislation. On Hicks's right arm is a tattoo of a, quote, moral compass. Instead of coordinates, he is guided by morality, wisdom, humility and courage. He hopes politicians will take the same approach. Mm. And he's quoted as saying, I hear politicians say they want to focus on mental health and physical health issues. My mental health issues and physical issues have always been caused by addiction. You treat addiction and then you're going to be treating mental illness, he says. But you treat addiction, you change people's lives. Indeed. So at least it's been debated. Yes, they're talking about it, and that's a good start. That's what we really need, isn't it? Exactly. About it. Well, change is going to come from people demanding it because they are aware that prohibition is not working, um, and they want change. Well, and it hasn't been working for. Well, 60 yonks. years, yeah. you know, it hasn't ever been working. It's been a statement. It's been a one-liner. It's been something people can throw out to make themselves look good. It's yeah. been a political football. Tough on drugs. Yeah, tough on drugs. Yeah. A good strategy if you want to be known. All right, so let's go to a song, Marion. I've picked yeah. um, the Triffids uh, song from the album Born Sandy Devotional, and it's called Life of Crime, the Triffids. All right, that was the Triffids, a great Australian band, and uh, Life of Crime. Okay, it's about uh, coming up almost 28 minutes after 11. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front on Community Radio uh, 2XX FM 98.3, People Powered Radio. That's right, 98.3. And if you support Community Radio, who support us and support Karma, and Karma supports it, because it's a good good mutual supportive society, um, why not join? Why not um, provide some money? Why not get a sponsorship or just become a member of 2XX and come along to their volunteer courses if you like? And also um, check out the new website, which has been updated. It looks very, um, very good. Yeah, and so 2XX 98.3. That's so, right. So, yeah, keep an eye on that. 
Okay, the next story is THC in blood and saliva, not indicative of impairment, studies say. Now, we've been talking about this for years, so it's about time some studies came out and supported it. So this is by Tara DiVincenzo from drivechangegemc.org.au, March the 1st. Measuring impairment has more to do with the individual user and much less with their blood content. While the drug driving laws continue to use blood and saliva as measures of impairment, up-to-date studies reveal the inaccuracy of these protocols. One such study, published in Neuroscience and Biobehavioural Reviews, revealed that blood and saliva testing for THC has no actual correlation with impairment. Referencing their own studies, as well as data from nearly 30 other publications, 30 other publications, the research team was able to shed some light on the differences between measuring THC and alcohol in roadside tests and which factors play a part in assessing impairment. Quote, higher blood uh, THC concentrations were only weakly associated with increased impairment in occasional cannabis users, while no significant relationship was detected in regular cannabis users. The leader author Daniel, Dr. Danielle McCartney from Lambert Initiative for Cannabinoid Therapeutics said, The science tells us that when it comes to measuring cannabis impairment, several factors play a role. Those include dose, mode of ingestion and length of treatment. A patient who has a long history with medicinal cannabis was less likely to register positive in roadside tests for THC even when it's present. Dose plays a large factor in the effects of medicinal cannabis and low-level prescriptions are still identifiable in roadside tests even when a driver is unimpaired. And that's what's leading to people having to go to court and lose that's their right. licence. That's right, and it's and just crazy. It's bad law. Yeah, bad law. Um, uh, on the other hand, the research found that patients with less frequent dosage would display a positive THC blood content in roadside tests. Police would interpret this as impaired, but do not take into account whether or not there are true signs of intoxication. Quoted uh, Dr. Danielle McCartney again, this suggests that blood and oral fluid THC concentrations are relatively poor indicators of cannabis or THC induced impairment. Despite these results showing that THC in blood has no relation to decreased driving performance, testing for presence remains the chosen mode of, police, of policing cannabis in the ACT. Yeah, which is uh, sad because we were the first, uh, sort of the last jurisdiction to sign on to these drug driving laws. Oh, um, yes, and, and and idiot laws they are too. Well, I just think they're bad laws and they're leading to people getting convictions for a serious offence, yeah, essentially. When there is, they're not reality-based. No, no, and yeah, it's... No impairment. It, it's not making the roads safer. It's no. just another tool in the war on people who use drugs. Absolutely. Anyway, the, the next subheading is, well, what can measure impairment? 
how police will be able to accurately measure impairment and detect uh, real intoxication in drivers remains the biggest issue for medicinal cannabis patients and for road safety in Australia. However, the data provides a clear view uh, into a method that is not working and opens the door to more effective opportunities. Quote, we clearly need more reliable ways of identifying cannabis impairment on the roads and in the workplace. This is a particularly pressing problem for the rapidly increasing number of patients in Australia who are using legal medicinal cannabis yet are prohibited from driving, said Professor Ian McGregor, Academic Director of the Lambert Initiative. One possible avenue that can help us better understand the effects of cannabis on driving is technology. Uh, smart, smartphone apps that may help people assess their impairment before driving are currently under development and may prove useful, said Research and Drive Change Ambassador Dr Thomas Arkell. And the piece concludes with ways to support the Drive Change initiative. If the laws wrongly identify medicinal cannabis patients as intoxicated, while some drivers who are intoxicated do not register, then obviously the laws are failing to effectively protect citizens on the road. It also discriminates against the thousands of medicinal cannabis patients who drive responsibly. Uh, and it ends a word of caution. The science also tells us that drivers shouldn't rely on their own judgment of impairment to deem themselves fit to drive. Instead, medicinal cannabis patients should be vocal about their condition, their positive experiences with medicinal cannabis and how the discriminatory laws affect them. One way of doing so is by writing to your local MP. Uh, and if you go to the website, it's Drive Change. You can find other suggestions um, for... What is it? Drive Change... Drivechangemc.org.au. Mc. Yeah. But, yeah, it's time that this um, was re-examined because yeah. it's... We know that reaching out directly is one of the most effective ways to create change and this is your chance to make it happen. That means get in touch with drivechange.org.au. I think that's a very sensible suggestion. And there's a lot of research on their website um, other than the piece we've just read. So, But um, it's really nice to hear that there is a lot of research backing it up because, as I've told you before, 15 years yeah, from um, the alcohol and drug people and the, what's their name, CDC, CDF... Drug and alcohol, drug firearms and what is it, drug, alcohol and firearms? Alcohol, tobacco and firearms. That's the ones over ATF. the United States, yeah. yeah. Who links those three yeah. together? Alcohol, yeah. tobacco and firearms? Yeah, it's a strange combo. They, they don't give a damn about firearms. Yeah, it's no, just crazy. It's your right to carry. Alcohol alcohol and tobacco, duh, but nothing, and doesn't mention drugs in that. Alcohol, tobacco, firearms and drugs. Only in America. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, only in America. All right, let's go to another classic. I thought I'd play uh, Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side just for old time's sake. Uh, here's Lou Reed. Definitely a classic uh, yeah, Walk on the Wild Lou Side. Reed. Yeah, good Yeah, a, he, bless him. He really wrote a, a, a good drug Did song, didn't man he? song, yeah, yeah. He was a good man. I think we'll do an international story from Scotland, Marion. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good idea because... It's a, an unusual place. Had a very high rate of HIV in the early oh, in the mid eighties. Uh, um, Glasgow did anyway. Uh, Edinburgh not so much, but certainly a very high rate of HIV in Glasgow. And but Nicola Sturgeon it says okay. Nicola Sturgeon utterly damning. That's a quote. Failure to fix Scotland's quote disgrace drug war crisis. A year later. This is by Richard Percival, scottishdailyexpress.co.uk, March the 8th. 
A report by Audit Scotland also urged ministers to create a quote, quote, overarching plan for initiatives aimed at tackling the problems. Scottish National Party ministers have come under fire after the Auditor Genitus... <laughs> Auditor General said details of a $250 million pledge to tackle the national disgrace of Scotland's drugs deaths crisis haven't been published. Nicola Sturgeon revealed an extra $50 million would be allocated every year for the next five years to improve and increase treatment services in January 2021. It comes as figures show that Scotland recorded the worst drug death rate in Europe with 1,339 Scots losing their lives from drugs in 2020. Now, we had 2,000 last year, Geoffrey. Mm. So I think, you know, 1,339, yeah. yeah. For that to be mentionable and yet for us to have 2,000, that doesn't create a mention anywhere. Except through, you know, the um, the Mardi Gras campaign. Yeah. Okay. By Audit Scotland, but Audit Scotland said details of how much of the cash will or had been spent on each local area or how the funding would be distributed have not been published almost 12 months later. The report, which looked at Scotland's drug and alcohol services, said... Quote, more, transparency, more transparency is needed by the Scottish Government on how much is spent overall on drug and alcohol policy and services. Another quote, this includes more clarity on the different funding streams, which organisations are receiving funding, the purpose of funding and how decisions are made on prioritisation and distribution of funding. End quote. The report also noticed, noted ministers should demonstrate the impact of its drug and alcohol policies using, quote, clear measures and public reporting, as well as addressing time lags in data being published. It noted that it was too early to gauge the effectiveness of new evidence-based treatments and standards, as well as Scottish National Party's ministers' drug deaths task force, whose chair and vice-chair resigned after being told to get a move on. That sounds a bit uh, sad, really. Yeah, it is a bit sad. Professor Katrina Matheson and Deputy Neil Richardson both stepped down in December after being ordered by Scotland's uh, Drugs Minister, Angela Constance, to produce a blueprint for urgent reform by the summer, months earlier than first laid down. The report also noted Scotland's high level of alcohol deaths, which rose by 16% in 2020, when there were 1,190 deaths after decreasing since the early 2000s. The report made clear that long-standing inequalities remain north of the border, with people living in the most deprived areas most affected by drug and alcohol use. Well, surprise, mm, surprise. surprise. Auditor-General Stephen Boyle added, quote, drug and alcohol data is not good enough and there is a complete lack of transparency about how money is actually being spent and allocated. The Scottish Government needs to set out an integrated plan with clear measures showing how extra spending is being used to reduce the tragic loss of life that we've seen over the past decade. Holyrood, that's the Scottish Parliament, opposition party, said the report's findings were, quote, utterly damning for Scottish National Party MPs. 
or ministers. Scottish Conservative Drugs Policy spokesperson Sue Webber said this is utterly damning of the government's approach towards tackling drug and alcohol deaths. This report makes it clear that the SNP's current strategies to help those struggling with addiction are simply not working. We hear a lot of warm words and funding announcements from ministers, but it is increasingly hard to establish whether this money is actually reaching the people and the communities that it needs to. Nicola Sturgeon admitted she took the eye off the ball on drug deaths and they have spiralled as a result. Mm. Audit Scotland has urged ministers to create an overarching plan for initiatives aimed at tackling the problems. The party, who have branded drug deaths a national disgrace, said the approach strengthens their case for the Right to Recovery Bill, giving people the right to any additional treatment they need, such as a residential rehab place. Scottish Labor's spokesperson, Claire, Claire Baker, added, this stark report calls for urgent action to deliver a more strategic public health response to the drug and alcohol deaths crisis that we face. The SNP have had 15 years to address the issues raised in the report and deliver the accountability, transparency and data that we need, but they have failed. It's not enough to just undo the cuts that the SNP have inflicted on services over the years. We need to transform and improve them using every power in our arsenal. We need a real plan and a public health response that will not just save lives, but get people the help that they need when they need it so we can tackle inequalities and help everyone lead fulfilling lives, end yeah. quote. Well, major point about that is a plan is a good thing, yeah, but we have no national disaster plan mm, and point. we've had three years of disasters. disasters. We still haven't got a national disaster plan. No, What's good. the problem? Mm. Scottish Liberal Democrat leader Alex Cole Hamilton said, Scottish Government Drug Policy has been a lesson in failure. <coughs> Excuse me. Scotland's performance on drug and alcohol deaths has been truly terrible, particularly in many of our poorest and most deprived neighbourhoods. That must change. Mr Cole Hamilton called for further devolution of drug powers to Scotland to help tackle the growing problem. In response, a spokeswoman for the Scottish Government welcomed the report, acknowledging that Audit Scotland expects, expressed some concerns. They added, quote, as the report recognises, the Scottish Government is investing significant leadership and investment into the national mission to improve and save lives, at the heart of which is ensuring everyone can access the right treatment and recovery for them. We're investing in record sums in the provision of services to address the impacts of both alcohol and drug use. Quote, in 2020, 21-22, we provided the first $50 million of additional national mission funding, which will see an additional $250 million pounds, I beg your pardon, invested over the life of the Parliament to improve outcomes for people who are harmed by drugs, their families and communities. Well, let's now, do something I would just positive. Say with yeah, that is, let's just... okay, make a plan... But I reckon the argument there has got to be, what are we making a plan for? Abstinence or mm. keeping people alive yeah. and harm reduction? Yeah. And I reckon that's probably where the argument is. Yeah. And maybe Audit Scotland is saying, 
maybe there was a disagreement, you know, between the the deputy and the chair and the deputy chair yep. of that committee. What are we doing? Are we doing harm reduction? Are we doing a plan for how to keep a people alive, or are we doing a harm that focuses only on abstinence? Mm, good because point. I think that's probably the major argument. Yeah. Is it abstinence? Do we want people to stop drinking and using drugs? Yeah. Not going to happen. No. You it's make a plan like that if you want to, and you can fund it up to the hilt if you want to. Two hundred and fifty million pounds is a lot of money, mm. but it's not going to stop people drinking, no. and it ain't going to stop people using drugs. No, and so just crazy suggestion. Thought I'd play uh, another song, Maz. Okay, uh, this is the Stones' "Wild Horses." We haven't played that for no, a while. No, we haven't. It's a beautiful no, song. Go for that. Ah, uh, that's the classic Stones songs, "Wild, wild Horses." Is. All right, we're just about uh, at the end of another show. Um, perhaps remind people of the next naloxone training, possibly. Yeah, now, so. I will do that. Okay, so the next one is Tuesday, the twenty second of March at two pm, uh, at the United Care, Uniting Care Early Morning Centre in Civic. So to book a place, ring Karma on six two five three three six four three and speak to Dave or Damo. Um, and you get reimbursed 30 bucks for your time. It only goes for an hour, but you learn how to save someone's life from an opioid overdose. I just heard an interesting little bit of news the other day too, Jeffrey. Do you know Putin's had Botox? No. Haven't you noticed recently his face is a little bit fatter, but he doesn't frown anymore. Isn't oh, that okay. strange? Well, you can't when you've had yeah, Botox. it's all stretched. It's just all... Yeah. <laughs> but he's got a nice fat face Midlife now. crisis. Yeah. Well, he got married to a blonde, you know, what was it? A gym, Not a gymnast, but a um, an Olympiad. Oh, of some okay. Olympic uh, champion of some sort. Anyway, they had twins. Oh. And he had Botox, so you know. Oh, it's a shame that hasn't mellowed him yeah, and made no. him think a bit. Didn't improve his lying capacity because he can do that at top rank. Yeah, he's one of the best in the world. But anyway, look, uh, just remember, Karma is open again. The office yeah, uh, the is office. open ten till four. Um, and we'll but if you can there. deal with it over the phone, that still That's remains the best preferable. Thing to do. Six two five three three six four three. Um, if you can deal with your, if you want to see someone face to face, and I actually find, like Jeffrey and I sit here and talk to each other and assume there's nobody out there listening to us. We know people are, but it makes us n- less nervous. But the problem with not being able to see people when you're talking to is you need facial expressions, some kind of acknowledgement that you are there and that what you're saying, the person you're talking to, can sympathise with. So, you know, make an appointment to see someone and they can meet you at a neutral place where you can talk to each other about your personal problem and how to manage them. Well, so, we can see a limited number of people in, absolutely. in, in the yeah, office. It can but just, happen. Yeah, There's it, just COVID protocols still look, in place. And uh, Look, the bottom line is karma will come to you or can make it access, as accessible to you as possible. And that is its aim is to deal with our community in a communal setting, yeah, in a comfortable setting. Yeah, and that's where the outreach starting up again yep. is really important. Yeah, the barbecues will be great. And we'll be out at Ainsley Village uh, on Thursday. Yep. So um, we serve and at noon. And um, was it MU? Uh, Oaks Estate Oaks on Wednesday. Oaks Estate on Wednesday, yeah. I think 
you know, I think we had a barbecue almost every day of the week, so eventually I think yeah, that will we'll be the aim. Yeah, we'll get back to that eventually. And but the, COVID's still going, gang. COVID so, is still yeah. going. It's if not... you're going on a bus anywhere, and I do regularly, I always wear a mask on the bus because we Me have too. to sit so close to people. Yeah. yeah, smart move. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll, we love Mary you. and I will be back again next week. Stay safe. We'll leave you with um, Golden Brown. Well, what a surprise. What a surprise. Bye. Take care.